Hey there, we are on track this year to read through the entire Bible. And I know that this can be a daunting task. There's a lot of reading, it's easy to fall behind, or sometimes it's just really good to slow things down and take some extra time with a book or a passage of the Bible that you feel needs more thought or energy. And that's where I want these videos to come in. I'm aiming to review the week's Bible reading, getting you caught up so that you can continue on track with us at Bible Discovery. So this week, we're going from Numbers 4 to 27. So in Numbers 4, the Bible gives us a closer look at the three clans of the tribe of Levi and what they do for the tent tabernacle. Uh, a census is taken to see what these clans number. So specifically, the men of working age are counted, which for the Levites were men between the ages of 30 and 50. So remember that the tabernacle was a portable tent. It traveled with the Israelites through the wilderness. So someone had to carry all of its parts, which of course was the Levites. So broken down into their three subclans. The Kohathites were to carry all of the furniture of the tabernacle once the priests had prepared them for travel. So wrapping them or covering them up. The priest in charge of the Kohathites was named as Eleazar. The Gershonite clan then was responsible for carrying the curtains and the ropes and the fabrics of the tent tabernacle, and the priest given charge for their organization was Ithamar. The Merarite clan carried the frames, poles, bases, pegs, and tools, just general tools of the tabernacle, and their overseeing priest was again Ithamar. Numbers chapter 5 details how someone who has become ritually impure would need to stay outside of the camp of the Israelites when they were in the wilderness. It talks about how someone who had sinned against someone else or against God was required to confess their sin and then make financial restitution for it. And finally, the chapter deals with what should be done when a husband suspects a wife of adultery but can't prove it. So the text makes it illegal for the husband to divorce the wife. Rather, he brings her to the tabernacle and allows God to judge. Now, I think this should be seen as legislation to protect an ancient wife from being divorced and disgraced unjustly. Number six outlines what a Nazarite vow to God would look like. This is a vow of specially dedicating your life to God for a specific period of time, and it involved abstaining from certain foods and actions. Number six also contains the famous priestly blessing that Aaron and his sons were to pronounce over the Israelites. Number seven records the offerings and gifts that the different tribal leaders of Israel brought for the dedication of the tent tabernacle. So they bring carts and oxen to the Merarite and Gershonite clans to help them move the tabernacle. The Kohathites, who moved the furniture of the tabernacle, they had to use their own muscle. The furniture had to be carried by poles resting on their shoulders. Then the other gifts by the tribes of Israel include silver and gold dishes for the tent tabernacle and grain and animal sacrifices that went along with that. We're also given a detail of how Moses communicated with God at the end of chapter 7, how he would hear God's voice from between the two cherubim on the lid of the Ark of the Covenant. Kind of a neat detail just tucked into number 7. Now, Numbers 8 talks about how Aaron set up the lamps in the tabernacle, and then it records the dedication of the whole tribe of Levi for their work, those three clans that we talked about earlier. Here, we're told that the age of their work was 25 to 50, but back in Numbers 4, the census counted the men aged 
30 to 50. So this gives us the hint that there was probably a five-year apprenticeship for the Levites before you could become a full working member uh, taking on those Levitical obligations. Numbers 9 records what to do if you had to miss celebrating the Passover because you were ceremonially unclean. You then had to celebrate it the next month. We're also told that once the tabernacle was set up, the presence of God appeared to rest on the tent like a cloud by day, and then at night that cloud looked like fire. So this manifestation of God would then lift off the tabernacle and Israel would know it was time to move camp. And we're told that the time of their encampments varied a lot during this period. Sometimes just it was a night and other times it was a full year and anywhere in between those numbers. Numbers 10 records instructions for the making of silver trumpets with which to signal the Israelites about things like moving camp during warfare and to mark special events and festivals. Chapter 10 also records Israel leaving Mount Sinai and how Moses convinced his in-laws to travel with Israel as helpful guides in the wilderness. Numbers 11 begins leadership struggles for Moses. So the people begin to complain about life in the wilderness. They complain about food. And Moses goes to the Lord basically saying, I can't do this. I'm done. God's response is to put his spirit on the 70 elders of Israel. But God also brings a plague on Israel when they hunt and eat quail after complaining yet again. Numbers 12 records a leadership rift between Moses and his sister and brother, Miriam and Aaron. Now, this would have been a really big deal because these were the three leaders of Israel. There's the 70 elders, of course, but Aaron was the high priest and Miriam was a prophet in Israel. They come against Moses because of his Cushite wife, which is a whole other thing in and of itself. But it may be that the non-native Israelites were the ones who kept starting the grumbling against God that had caused the plagues to break out among the camp in the first place. This is spoken of back in Numbers 11. So the fact that Moses is now married to one of the non-native Israelites may have really ticked his siblings off, but they were wrong. Life was not about ethnicity. It was about faithfulness to God. And Miriam and Aaron were in the wrong. Miriam was apparently the instigator because she bears the punishment and has to stay outside of the camp for seven days as one who is ritually impure. Numbers 13 sees Moses sending 12 spies into the land of Canaan. But when they come back, only two of them, Caleb here, and we'll later learn Joshua too, want to go forward with God's plan of conquest. The other 10 are too scared. In Numbers 14, the Israelites are trying to choose a new leader of Israel to take them back to Egypt. Joshua and Caleb tear their clothes in mourning, and the Israelites are talking about stoning them. The glory of the Lord appears at the entrance to the tent tabernacle, interrupting all of this, and says that now they will not go into the promised land for 40 years, but will rather wander in the wilderness. They don't like this answer, so they change their mind and try to start the conquest anyway without Moses or the priests. And it goes horribly. They lose the battle and come running back to Moses. Numbers 15 contains information about grain and drink offerings that would go along with burnt or animal offerings, and it outlines what to do about unintentional sin. It also records how a Sabbath breaker was executed and records how the Israelites were supposed to wear tassels of remembrance on their clothes. 
Number 16 records Korah's rebellion. Now, this rebellion was trying to overthrow Aaron's priesthood, and it was after that failed entrance into the Promised Land, so it's really not surprising there was a lot of civil unrest. So this, not surprisingly, ends badly for Korah and the leaders with them. They're burned up by the fire that they offered in their censers, and then their bronze censers are beaten into sheets to cover the altar of the tabernacle as a remembrance. In number 17, God's choice of priest is clearly portrayed in the budding of Aaron's staff. It's definitely worth a study. Numbers 18 talks about the portion of the offerings that Aaron and the priests were allowed to keep. Numbers 19 describes what the water of cleansing was, how it was made with an animal sacrifice, and how it was used to ritually purify. Numbers 20 records Miriam's death and burial, Aaron's death, how Edom would not allow Israel to travel through their territory and the occasion when Israel needed water, but Moses overstepped the command of God and so would not make it into the promised land himself. Numbers 21 records a battle between the king of Arad and Israel, the bronze serpent incident, battles against Sihon, king of the Amorites, and how Israel captured cities and lived in them. In Numbers 22, we see Moab being nervous that Israel's in their territory, and so they ask Balaam, a diviner and prophet, to come curse Israel. And there's an interesting confrontation between the angel of the Lord, Balaam, and Balaam's donkey. Numbers 23 records how Balaam cannot curse Israel, but instead blesses her. Chapter 24 records prophecies of Balaam after the Spirit of God overcame him, Chapter 25 records how Balaam advised the Moabites on how to get Israel to essentially curse themselves by getting them involved in sexual immorality and idol worship. Numbers 26 records another census of Israel, this time so that their inheritances of land in Canaan could be properly allotted. And finally, Numbers 27 records how the five daughters of Zelophehad were given their father's inheritance in the Promised Land and were a pattern for future land laws. And then also how Joshua was commissioned to become the new leader of Israel. There we go, another week recap. I hope you enjoyed it. Don't forget to give this video a like and let me know what you think the wildest story from Numbers is. Thank you so much for watching. We want to keep producing high quality biblical content, but we can't do it without your support. If you feel called to support us, please click the link in the description under donate. Your support really means a lot to us.